Alright. I'm going to invite Michelle up. Michelle is bringing the word tonight. Welcome, Michelle. to the Holy Spirit, um, the songs you chose were so in line with what I have to speak about today that I didn't even know until this morning, so um, I'm really thankful for that, and I was just really encouraged by that, um, and thanks John Dorsey as well for what you shared. Um, so today, uh, we're going to be looking at the book of Habakkuk, um, and we're going to hopefully get through it all. It's only three chapters, so don't freak out. It's not one of the not one of the longer books of the, the Old Testament. But um, I know that when we think about the Old Testament, sometimes it can be really difficult to access, um, to understand how do we take this and apply it to our lives. And so I hope that what I can do, in addition to the, the message of, um, of the book, is just help you to understand some of some of the Old Testament, particularly this book, and how it fits in, um, what the historical context was, um, and that that might help you as you read through the Old Testament. Um, back in 2008, before I started my PhD, I, um, I took a year off, took a year off school, I took a year off science, and <laughs> went to school. Um, for one semester, I went to um, Bible college and I took a class in um, Old Testament, New Testament, and church history. And the class on Old Testament really uh, opened my eyes um, and helped me to understand. And I, I want to share a little bit of that with you guys today. So I have, before we get into the book, I have a timeline um, that I just want to briefly cover the entire history of the Old Testament in five minutes. <laughs> So we're probably mostly familiar with some of the, the early stories of Abraham, of um, Joseph, of the Israelites ending up in Egypt in slavery, God rescuing them through Moses and then bringing them into the promised land. And then we have the establishment of the nation of Israel and they asked God for a king. And so that first king was Saul. Saul sinned against God and so God said, I'm not going to continue your lineage um, but I'm going to set up a king who is after my own heart. And that king was David. And so we have that on, we have Saul, David, and then David's son Solomon on the far left, your left, um, left-hand side. And Solomon um, built the temple of God, a place established in Jerusalem, a place where the people could worship God and could come where the sacrifices took place. Um, but... During the time of Solomon, it was a time of great prosperity, but spiritually everything started to kind of go downhill. And so God said, because of my, the word I spoke to David, I'm going to continue the lineage of David, but I'm going to take away from you some of the kingdom. And so after the time of Solomon, the nation of Israel split into two. And we have the northern kingdom, which was known as Israel, and there was the ten tribes, and then the, the nation of Judah, which was the southern kingdom. And so David's descendants continued as kings of um, the southern kingdom, the nation of Judah, and their, their spiritual life kind of went like this. 
depending on the king that was in power at the time. So some of the kings were good, some of them were really not so good, and they would set up idols. And um, But the northern kingdom was basically always kind of down here. Uh, with the very first king, Jeroboam, he, he was scared of losing his people um, to because the temple was in Jerusalem, which was not in his kingdom. So he set up an idol. He's saying, you don't need to go to, down to Jerusalem to worship God. Just stay here. Don't, don't leave. And so basically established an, a, another religion. Um, and so the nation of Israel didn't really ever follow God strongly during their history. And if you read through the, the book of Kings, which talks about the kings of Judah and the kings of Israel, you'll see most, pretty much all except maybe one, the kings of Israel are described as being um, sinful and not following the ways of God. And prophets like Elijah and Elisha were both sent to the northern kingdom to try to call them back to God because God never gives up on his people, right? So he continually sent prophets to his people to try to bring them back to God. Um, But, and we have a couple of the other writing prophets, uh, Jonah, Amos, Hosea, that also were sent to the, the northern kingdom. And they were sent and to try to call the people to repentance and call the people back to God. But eventually, because the people refused, um, they were taken into captivity. So one of the nations at the time, the Assyrians, came, invaded, conquered the land of Israel. And what they, the king at that time did was he took people from the land of Israel and scattered them all over the the Assyrian Empire and then took people from everywhere else and put them and settled them in Israel. So the people now in the land of Israel were a mix of the the ten tribes of Israel and, and people from all around. And they were the people that eventually became the Samaritans that we read about in the New Testament. So they had something that resembled Judaism and resembled worship of God but with a lot of other things Um, thrown in. And then the southern kingdom, this should have been, you know, a warning. The northern kingdom's taken to exile. Southern kingdom stayed. You can see it continued for a fair bit longer. Um, But eventually, God raised up another um, nation, the Babylonians, and they took the southern kingdom into exile because his people did not repent. Um, But this, they were taken into exile in Babylon and eventually returned to the land, rebuilt the temple, um, which is what we read about in Ezra and Nehemiah. And then there was a couple of prophets during that time as well. So where does Habakkuk fit in to all of this? Um, So in this particular timeline, he's written at 609 to 605, which is towards the end of... or before the Babylonian captivity. But actually, we don't know exactly. Because uh, if we read the very first book of, uh, the first verse of Habakkuk, all it says is the prophecy that Habakkuk the prophet received. That's all the information we have. So we can guess it was definitely before the Babylonian captivity. Um, It was definitely during a low point spiritually for the nation of Judah. Um, So if you see 673, we've got the king Josiah. So Josiah was actually a really good king, and he set in place um, a lot of reforms in the nation. So I think Habakkuk either came just before Josiah 
or just after Josiah, but definitely, pro- definitely not during the time of Josiah because um, it would have been a, a better time. But all that to say that um, Habakkuk is prophesying in a time of um, spiritual destitution uh, where the people are not following God, the kings are not providing good spiritual leadership. Um, so that's some of the history, some of the context. So let's dive in and... Um, we're going to read just a couple of portions as we go through. So Habakkuk 1, 2, and 4. Habakkuk says, How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Or cry out to you violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed, and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous, so that justice is perverted. And I think th- these verses here, you know, give us a really good picture of the, what was going on when Habakkuk was, um, was prophesying, was writing this. Um, a couple of key words that we can see um, in the end of verse 3 talks about strife and conflict. And these words are legal words that suggest um, that the wrongdoers were using the law to wrong and oppress others who didn't know how to work the system. So the powerful uh, were u- actually using the law to oppress others. Um, and then we have the righteous at the end of verse 4, are those who are living faithfully in their relationships in the community, uh, whereas the wicked are those who ignore the obligations of their relationships and live for themselves. So we have a very self-centered society, a society where those in power are oppressing those who don't have power. And it's, um, verse 4 also says the law is paralyzed. So the law had no power. There's a lot of injustice. Um, And uh, when I read read this, I can't help but see some of the parallels with what we see in our nation today that um, those in power oppress those who have no power. The oppression and the injustice that we see uh, when it comes to police brutality in particular and um, other things where the law is actually used to oppress those who don't, aren't able to use it for themselves. Um, and I, I feel like that this is part of the role of a prophet. So prophets in the Old Testament, they generally wrote in in times of spiritual destitution. They wrote in tumultuous times in Israel and Judah's history. And I think that's part of the role of the prophet and a call for the church today to actually engage with what's going on in our community and in our nation and, um, and to seek God's perspective and then speak light into the darkness to be able to confront oppression that we see and, um, and to pray above all. Like Habakkuk doesn't just see what's going on around him and think all is hopeless. He brings it to God and he starts off by saying, how long, Lord, must I call for help? So this is not just a once-off thing. You can see that Habakkuk has been praying day in, day out, praying, God, change, bring change, bring um, justice, bring uh, peace. And so he's frustrated. He's like, God, come on, I've been praying, I've been asking for change. And I think that that's, that's something that, um, 
there's a call for us, I think, as well, to be engaging in what is going on in our city and what is going on in our nation. And I feel like it's something that can be difficult. Um, I know sometimes, I said, I, I try to, it can be easy to ignore what's going on and just look at our own lives, stay focused on our own lives. I feel like sometimes I um, try to read the newspaper at work over lunch and only get one page through because it's so depressing and it can be easy to just decide, okay, I'm not going to engage. But I, I feel like there's this call that God's saying, you need to engage, you need to know what's going on so you can bring it to me in prayer and so that you can speak out against oppression that is happening, so you can speak out against um, conflict and injustice. Um, but this can be a difficult a lonely, a discouraging task. And I think we see that in Habakkuk's prayer. You can see that he's frustrated, he's discouraged. He's like, God, how long is this going to go on? He sees brokenness all around him. And so I feel like in this, as we're going to go through the book, um, this can speak to us on that level of how not to be discouraged as we um, confront injustice in this world, but also on a personal level, I think um, this concept of how long, Lord, um, can apply to many of our personal prayers, of things that we've been praying for a long time, whether it be praying for a job, praying for direction um, in your life, praying um, for people you know, friends, family, to come to know Christ, um, that, that, that that sort of praying for a long time and in um, engaging in prayer can also be discouraging. And I feel like God wants to speak into some of that today as well. So in verses 5 and 6, we see the start of God's response to Habakkuk. Um, and I think that's, that's one thing that's awesome. You know, Habakkuk's praying, and God doesn't just leave him there. He answers. You know, God, God does want to speak to us. So in verse 5, it says, Look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. For I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe, even if you were told. I am raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwellings not their own. So God's response to Habakkuk was, because his people had broken their covenant obligations, he was going to raise up the Babylonians in judgment against them. And there's a couple of things that I want to point out here. The very first word that God says to Habakkuk is look. Look at the nations and watch. And if you look back at verse 3, Habakkuk had just prayed, why do you make me look at injustice? And now God's saying, look at the nations. And I feel like there's this, God is calling Habakkuk to change his perspective. There is this time for engaging with what's going on in the world. But we can't leave our focus with what is going on. We can't leave our focus on the problem. We need to lift our vision and focus on the Lord. And, um, and so God says, look at the nations and watch. The other thing is that Habakkuk had just been looking in his own little circle, looking at the community of Judah. And God's saying, look beyond. Look to me. Look to the solution rather than the problem. Because we know that the solution is in God. And the other thing I see in this is um, God says, for I am going to do something in your days. I am raising up the Babylonians. God says, I'm already working. 
I am already working behind the scenes. You can't see it yet, but I'm doing something. And I feel like that's a, that's a word for us today too, to realize God is at work. God is not sitting back going, oh, let's just leave these humans to the, their own devices. He is at work behind the scenes. It doesn't matter whether we can see it or not. He is working. And so I, there's this, the, this word of encouragement today. I think take heart. God is at work. God is working. And to think about where is your focus? Have you been discouraged by what you see around you? Have you been discouraged by God taking a long time, seemingly, in answering your prayers? Um, take your focus off the problem and look to him. Let him change your perspective to see it from his perspective rather than just focusing on the problem. But the other thing about God's response was that it wasn't quite what Habakkuk was expecting because he was, God was about to use the Babylonians, a nation that didn't follow God, a nation that was more evil than the people of God to judge the people of God. And so in Habakkuk's um, sort of second section, in verse 12, he says, Lord, are you not from everlasting? My God, my Holy One, you will never die. You, Lord, have appointed them to execute judgment. You, my rock, you have ordained them to punish. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? So what we have here is that Habakkuk starts by saying, okay, I accept you're going to use the Babylonians to judge, but you can't stop there. And he, he questions God as to why. Why use the Babylonians? And what about their evil? Why won't, will you not judge them too? But what I, before we talk more about that, what I want you to notice is that Habakkuk's first response before he complains is to say, Lord, are you not from everlasting? He starts with praise. He starts with recognizing the character of God. Um, and I think there's, there's something there for us as well, that when we get confused, when we get discouraged about what's going on, about God, why are you waiting, come back to the character of God. Come back before you start complaining about why, God, you're taking so long. Come back to the character of God and say, God, you are good. You are faithful. So, Lord, what are you going to do about this? Praise and worship is so important in maintaining our hope through discouragement and through difficulties. And the other thing then that um, Habakkuk is um, asking God, you know, what else? It's like, okay, I accept that you've said you're going to bring the Babylonians in judgment against the, the Jews, but you can't stop there. God, what else? What You have to do something more. And, um, you know, we, we need to recognize that, yes, God can change our perspective on the circumstances, but he also wants to change the situation. He also wants to change the circumstances. And so we can... We can Cry out to him for the more. Cry, as John Dorsey said, cry out to him for the deeper things. But start 
Start with praise. Start with recognizing the character of God, recognizing who the God is that you serve, that we serve. And I love, I love chapter 2, verse 1. After Habakkuk finishes his complaint saying, God, you can't stop here. He says, okay, I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint. He waits expectantly for a response. He, he knows God's going to answer him because he knows who, who God is. And he's expectant in the way that he, he waits for the Lord. And so God does answer. In verses 2 through 4, it says, Then the Lord replied, Write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. See, the enemy is puffed up. His desires are not upright, but the righteous person will live by his faithfulness or will live by faith. So God says, write it down. Write what I'm about to tell you down because it's important. And what I'm about to tell you is for a future time, but it's definitely going to happen. It is certain. And he tells Habakkuk to share it far and wide. Why? Because it will bring encouragement and comfort to the righteous through difficulties. It says, the end of that says, the righteous will live by faith. And we, we're used to reading that verse that um, Paul quotes in the New Testament. But what I think it's saying here is that knowing what God is going to do, knowing that God will make everything right, will help the righteous to keep going, help the righteous to endure through whatever happens, and that righteous will live by faith and trust in the promise of God. And it's, it's giving hope for the future that God one day will make it all right. And then um, the whole rest of chapter 2 is, is God's response. Um, but I'll just read one verse in verse 8 where he's talking to the Babylonians. He says, Because you have plundered many nations, the people who are left will plunder you. For you have shed human blood. You have destroyed lands and cities and everyone in them. So essentially what he says in the, the rest of chapter 2 is that God is going to bring judgment on the Babylonians too. So God will make it all right because he is a, ultimately he is a just God. He is a good God. and he, um, So he will bring judgment on the Babylonians. And so, you know, from this, I feel like there's this, this encouragement to um, stay focused that God will make everything right. God will bring change, whether it's in this life or whether it's in the life to, to come. Um, this past semester, I was studying a class part-time on grace and eschatology. And if you're, you're not familiar with the word eschatology, eschatology basically means the study of the, the things at the end of time or the things in the, at, at the, yeah, basically at the end of time. And it's not something I'd ever really spent a lot of time thinking about, um, but studying it and thinking about what um, what the Bible teaches about that 
I think what became really clear is this idea of hope, of hope for a future life with God, and that at the end of all time when Jesus returns, he will make all things right. There will be, there will be justice. There will be peace. There will no longer be poverty and homelessness, but there will be, um, everything will be made right. And that that hope for God making everything right is meant to sustain us as we walk through this life, as we engage with what's going on in our world, as we seek to bring change and to bring what we see into alignment with the will of God, which happens sort of incrementally as we walk through this life, but will happen on a grander scale at the end of time. But that, that hope that God is bringing resolution is, is meant to sustain us and be that foundation for our lives. And then um, I think maybe my, my favorite part of Habakkuk is in chapter 3. At the end, he says... In verse 16, I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. So here, this is a perfect um, example of how the message that God gave him of the coming judgment on the Babylonians was a sustaining force to him. Habakkuk knew that he was about to go through turbulent time. He was about to go through this difficult time. He was going to see his nation plundered in judgment for the, the turbulence and the injustice that was already there. But he got through it because he knew that God was going to make everything right. So he says, I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. I will wait patiently for the promise of God to be fulfilled. And then he continues in verse 17. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes, makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. Habakkuk says, in a time of total lack, where there is no food, though the fig tree does not bud, there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls. There's no uh, fruit, vegetables, or meat. There's no food. He says, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. And I think it's, it strikes me that he didn't just say, I will trust. I will grin and bear it. He says, I will rejoice in the Lord despite everything that's going on around me. Despite total lack, I will rejoice in the Lord because he knew that the promise of God would be fulfilled. He knew that God was faithful. He knew who God was and that God would bring everything to pass that he had said. And so he could rejoice in the Lord. He could be joyful. And I think that's such a, that's such a challenge to me um, to be able to rejoice even in the midst of difficulties. And it reminds me of um, when Jesus said that in this world you will have tribulation. 
You know, God, God didn't promise us, promise us a life of easiness, a life where we just go on through and nothing um, can touch us. He said that you will have trouble, you will have tribulation, but I have overcome the world. But I am with you through it all. But there is coming a time when everything is made right. And we're called to, have, to live our life grounded in that hope, grounded in that trust, so that even in the midst of difficulties, we can rejoice in the Lord, we can trust that he will bring his promise to pass. And this, this week I was um, particularly challenged on, on this, um, particularly in the area of just the, that concept of perspective and being focused on the problem or focused on, on God. Um, so for those of you who don't know, I've been looking for a job for a year and a half maybe, applying for a job. My pos- original position was meant to finish in December, but this week officially um, they extended my position for another year, which was awesome and gave me a, a good a sense of relief and peace. Um, but as they started processing my visa for next year, I got an email on Friday. And so my current visa ends December 31st. Um, and so they're starting already because I'm changing visa categories and all that complicated good stuff that is the immigration system. Um, but I got an email on Friday saying that um, premium processing as of March was suspended. So you can't pay to get it faster and the original normal processing time was six months there's four and a half months left of the year and apparently because of this change there's a backlog and the typical processing time now is eight to ten months and I freaked out (laughs) because if I don't have a visa I can't work I don't get paid and um, I think, I, yeah, and I'm like, can I even stay in the country if I don't have a visa? <laughs> can I afford to go home? And and I, I, can't, I got focused on the problem, um, which is not even a problem yet. <laughs> it, it could potentially be a problem in four and a half months, but anyway, I did, I freaked out. And then as I sort of came before God later that night, I was just like, God, you know, earlier this year, I asked God to increase my faith and to stretch my faith and he has certainly done that this year um, and so I just felt like him saying you know don't focus on the problem don't focus on what the world is telling you focus on me so I said okay God well you know I need a visa to stay in this country you've got to work it out and so just putting my trust in him and lifting um my eyes and putting my focus on him and trusting that he will work it out or however it works out, whether that means my visa is processed in time or it means he works out something else. I don't know. Um, But I I trust him. I trust him that he will work it out. And so, yeah, just all that to say, I just want to encourage you guys to, um, to trust him. God's promises are sure. He is faithful. Um, he is good. Come back to the character of God. Focus on him and don't let the, the focus on the, the circumstances um, discourage you.
So let's let's pray. Let's end in prayer. God, I thank you that you are so good. God, that you are faithful, that you are trustworthy, that you are a strong tower that we can run to in times of trouble. You are our strength. You are our hope. You are our joy. God, and I pray... um, I pray for us as a church today, God. I pray that we would have the courage to engage with what's going on in our world today, and particularly what's going on in our city. God, I pray that you would begin to open our eyes to ways that we can engage, ways that we can speak um, light into darkness, ways that we can speak against oppression and injustice, ways that we can be a vessel through which you can speak, God, um, through us to a broken world that needs your hope and your joy and your light. And God, as we do so, Lord, let us not stay focused on the hurt and the brokenness that we see, but God, let us um, keep our eyes focused on you and focused on who you are and what you have promised us. God, that you are faithful and you are good, Lord, and you are bringing change. You are at work. God, I pray for encouragement for every heart here today, God. Encouragement through whatever people may be going through, Lord, to trust you, to trust you to provide that job, to trust you to um, mend that relationship, to trust you to bring those people that we care about to Jesus. Lord, and in the meantime, just keep Help us to to be able to rejoice in you, to say with Habakkuk that though all these things may be happening, yet I will rejoice, yet I will trust, because you are good and because I know who you you are, God. And I just pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Michelle. Thank you, Michelle. Isn't that good? We need to do that more often. It's really weird just being able to sit over there during this time. Weird in a great way. Um, I wanna, I wanna um, share one more thought, and we'll see if, yeah, maybe pray into it. Um, but I really, one of the things that really stuck out with what you said was this idea of. Um, the message being a sustaining force. And I, I just feel like God is um, connecting the dots here to what we've been talking about with contending. And I, I feel like um, there's something really important that, that sometimes we overlook, uh, which is uh, the need to uh, remember. And even this, this call to look and see uh, from God's perspective, um, I believe it's really fueled by um, the things that he's been saying all along. And um, in the same way God gave the message to uh, Habakkuk to give to the people, um, he's speaking to his people. And I just feel like there are, um, there are things that God has already said to us that he's calling us to be reminded of and to revisit and to contend uh, from those promises and from the words that God's already spoken into our lives, already spoken into our city, 
um, things that we prayed into before but we forgot about. God's saying revisit those prayers, revisit um, those promises. Um, and, and in fact, as you do, um, the rejoicing will spring up. And so um, I just want to pray into that for us. And I also want to encourage you that um, um, as you do that, maybe it's time to ask for more. Maybe it's time to ask someone um, uh, to, to speak into that. And, and, and maybe you need uh, a new word to add to what God has already been saying. And so I just want to invite us and encourage us to do that as well. Um, if you feel like, uh, I would say first go back to, and in, in revisiting, if you feel like maybe there's something more to it that you need to hear, then I would invite you to, to ask somebody in this community to, um, for a word and see what God would say into that. Let me just pray into that real quick, and we're going to take communion. Um, God, yeah, I just thank you for that. I thank you that, um, God, that you want to sustain us by what you've been speaking all along. And whether that be um, a word of encouragement, whether that be um, something that we read in in the scriptures that that fueled our faith, that, that gave us something to stand on, that... Um, encouraged and strengthened our hearts, um, that gave us the ability to rejoice in a moment that didn't seem like rejoicing was the appropriate response, um, that allowed us to praise you. God, I pray that um, you would help us to remember those things. And I really believe that, um, that one of the things the enemy has done is not only shifted our perspective um, off of you, um, and on to the problems, but shifted our perspective um, uh, away from what you've already said. And so we've forgotten those things. And so um, even uh, our contending is lacking um, substance. And so, God, I just pray into that. And I'm praying into that for my own life and for each of the people here, this community, God. God, we just, we celebrate and we thank you that you are God that speaks to your people. And and we thank you, God, that you have poured out in that way so faithfully uh, through the years, God. And I believe that there's things that you've spoken to us even time ago um, that, God, you are wanting to bring to fruition. Um, And even before that happens, God, you're inviting us back into participation with you and those words. And so God, I just pray um, that you would help us remember and that part of our contending would be revisiting what you've said and taking hold of it again and letting it take hold of us again so that we can pray, so that we can rejoice, so that we can celebrate, um, so that God, we can find it. So we bless your name, God, and I just pray for um, fruitfulness in that way, even this week, God, that, um, God, that we would take that action step with you and we would um, uh, just perhaps discover afresh um, what you're saying, what, what you're wanting to do. In Jesus' name, amen.